So I get to talk to you guys tonight. I get to talk to you guys for a few weeks. And so our series is going to be called Of Kings and Kingdoms. And we are going to look at the first kings of Israel, and we're going to kind of learn from their lives. So we're going to look tonight at King Saul, and then the next two weeks we're going to look at King David. We'll do a little bit comparing and contrasting, and we'll see what we can learn from their lives. Because um, a lot of people have heard of David, you know, David and Goliath, he fought the giant. Um, like, that's real famous, but King Saul is actually the first king of Israel, the king that came first, and we learn a lot from his his reign and how he led, and we learn tonight, honestly, how to lose a kingdom, right? How to lose a kingdom. So that's kind of why in our breakout groups we're asking questions about what are things you love to do, what are things you hate to do, right? And what's your dream, dream job? Because I think in Israel, the dream job, in a sense, would be to be what king, right? So this guy, he had it all... Um, he was leading the nation. Everyone revered him. Everybody respected him. Um, but he lost the kingdom. And so we're going to kind of talk about how to lose a kingdom tonight. Um, but so before we jump into that, we're going to talk about the things we don't like to do. Um, there is a colloquial, colloquialism. can't say that word today. Colloquialism. Um, called breaking a dish, right? Um, anybody ever heard of break a dish? Okay. And so... The sense is this, that it's like, if you're at a friend's house and they like invite you to dinner, right? And afterwards you help them do the dishes, right? After the, the, the dinner, you're like, oh, let me help you with dishes. Or they say, more, would, would you help with dishes, right? And you're in the kitchen and they wash the dish and they pass it to you, right? And you're drying the dishes. Now, a good friend, right, will dry the dishes, put the dishes up, right? Mm-hmm. But let's say you really hate doing dishes. Like, that was your thing. You absolutely hate, right? And you don't ever want to do the dishes at their house again, right? Mm-hmm. Well, then you're drying the dish and you just... <laughs> Oops. Sometimes we say, I didn't break a dish. Um, but so sometimes, like in a sense, okay, good people don't break dishes, right? Like, do not go to your friend's house the next time they ask you to help with the dishes after international dinner and be like, I don't want to do this anymore. Okay, this is not what we take away from that. But in a sense, that's what we do in life. But then there's some situations where we wouldn't want to do that, right? Like if we were the king of Israel, if we have that dream job, right? You become the Powderpuff Girl, like, you don't just stay home and, like, not save the day, right? You go save the day. Um, 
you become the CEO of like the best company ever, like you don't not show for it, you don't break a dish because you respect the job you've been given. And, um, and it should be that way with the king of Israel as well. So we're going to be reading about Saul, who's the first king. And that came to be because God spoke to the prophet Samuel, who was the very last judge of Israel, who's a judge and prophet. And um, so at that point, God was the king, and there was this guy that like, spoke for him, the judge. But the people wanted a real king, not that God wasn't a real king, but they wanted a human king like all the other nations. So they asked God for a king. God spoke to Samuel, and he said, go anoint Saul. So he went, and he anointed Saul. It said, the Bible tells us Saul was a head taller than everybody else, so he's like a big dude. He like, looks like a king, right? And Israel was really happy. And so as Saul is leading the kingdom, we come to this story. It's in 1 Samuel 15, for those of you guys who have your Bible. And we'll start at verse 1. We'll read it, and then we'll talk about it. It says, one day Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Six tenths of y'all. So Saul mobilized his army at Telaim, there were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. Saul and his army went to a town of the Malchites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul sent this morning to the Kenites, move away from where the Malchites live or you will die with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites packed up and left. He captured, or they left. Saul slaughtered the Malchites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, the lambs, everything in fact that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. And so a little bit of background. When the Israelites came into the promised land, there were a lot of people there that were wicked. Okay, and the Lord had said to wipe them out. The Israelites hadn't done that, so this is like God saying, "Go do this again." We don't still do this, okay? But this was not um, this was not like a people group thing that that it was like hatred towards a people group. It was having to do with with sin and wickedness. Um, and this is something that we see in the Old Testament, okay? But Saul is told destroy the Amalekites, and then we read in verse one. He hears it. Verse 2, he goes to carry it out. Verse 3, he's doing pretty good. But by the time we get to verse 9, he's, he kind of, well, he didn't he didn't quite do it, right? But he did most of it. But not all of it. He mostly obeyed. But he sort of kind of didn't all the way obey, but he mostly obeyed, right? And so we'll read on. Verse 10 says, Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard that that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went to Gogal. 
When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Did he though? Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and lowing of cattle, I hear? Samuel demanded. It's true the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted. But they are going to be a sacrifice. They're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We've destroyed everything else. Then Samuel and Saul, Samuel said to Saul, Stop, listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked. And Samuel told him, Although you may think yourself little, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, Go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everything else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God and your God. And so here we have this exchange, right? We read Saul was supposed to completely destroy. Saul did not quite completely destroy. And so the Lord speaks to Samuel in the night and says, go to him. Samuel comes and he's like, why didn't he obey? Right? And Saul's response is like, I did. I just brought this back this stuff because I'm going to give it to God. Right? Um, which is like, there's so much of the response, right? And you're like, I'm just doing all this because I want to do something for God. You know? Um, but he says, I brought back this so I can give it to God. Right? Um, but I did obey. And then we get our key text. And this is where we're going to hang out tonight. It's verses 22 and 23. Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness is bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. You guys, this is key. From this verse, moving forward in scripture, starts a theme where this obedience is better than sacrifice. It repeats and repeats and repeats all the way through into the Gospels we see this theme. And anytime we see something repeat in the Bible over and over and over again, that's like a big, giant exclamation point, right? That God is like saying, take note of this. Pay attention to this. So it starts here, but then it carries all the way through. Obedience is better than sacrifice. So we're going to talk about what that's about. So did Saul obey God? No. Did Saul obey God? No. No. Why not? This is why. There's like two reasons why. The first one is incomplete obedience is not the same as obedience. Right? Incomplete obedience is not the same as obedience. If we do not obey God completely, we have not obeyed. Now, you guys, I see this incomplete obedience thing all the time. Because I have three adorable kids, like we were just talking about. And I love my little people. I love my people. Okay? But the incomplete obedience thing, it's real. Because a lot of times I'll tell my kids, your room is messy. What do moms say when your room is messy? Go clean it. I don't want to clean it. You've got to clean everything else. Go clean your room. Right? And so I'll tell the adorable, sweet, smushy faces, go clean your room. Right? And there's always one. Um, there's always one that comes right back out. I cleaned it, mommy. Right? And you'll walk into the room. 
and you'll look. And like one little space that she looked at is clean and the whole rest of the room is still dirty. <laughs> Did she go back? No. And so I'm like, you need to go back to the room again. Um, like, so incomplete obedience isn't obedience, right? It's like a little bit obedience, but God doesn't work in like smidgens and pinches, right? Like, like we either do or don't obey. So incomplete obedience is not obedience. The second thing, selective obedience is not obedience, right? So if your mom were to give you a to-do list, you know, like your dad, aunt, granny, whoever would give you a to-do list in your life, they were to give you a to-do list, you were to look at it, you were to see all the things, and you were like, I like to do this, I'll do this. I like to do this, I'll do this. Pick up dry cleaning, oh no, I will not be doing that, right? Um, So you kind of pick and choose from the to-do list. Then at the end of the day, you go see mom, dad, granny, auntie, whatever, and and you're like, I did your to-do list. And they're like, there's four things on here that you did not check off. There are four things that are not done. Did you do the to-do list? No. No, so selective obedience is not obedience. We can't pick and choose in regard to our obedience to God. And you guys, I think this is where the story of King Saul steps on my toes. Right? Because I like to read about David. And I like to hear about all the great things David did. But when I read about Saul, it challenges me because I see a lot of myself there. I see a lot of the tendencies in Saul and myself. To obey God, but not obey him all the way. Or to obey him like here, because yeah, that makes sense to me. But then in the other thing, ah, God, that's asking for too much. It doesn't make sense. Right? And so we pick and choose or we obey, but not all the way. And, and I see, first of all, that in myself. And I think it's something that, like, as a whole humanity, we struggle with this, right? Um, but we can't pick and choose in regard to our obedience. We can't say, I'll go to church, but I'm going to keep sleeping with my boyfriend, right? We can't say, I'll give to those in need, but I'm going to talk about all their business behind their backs. So, like, we can't pick and choose, right? It's all or nothing. Um, so what is Samuel saying here? He's urging Saul to look at the reasons behind the sacrifice rather than just looking at the sacrifice. He's saying, what is the heart? What is the motive? What's going on behind these sacrifices of all these sheep that you brought that weren't supposed to be here? Like, what's the heart of that? And we can kind of tell from the words a little bit about this because I I promise you all, the first few times I studied for Samuel, I was like, rebellion is the same as witchcraft. Like, those are different, God. (laughs) Like, rebellion cauldrons, like not the same, okay, in my head, but um, when you really start to, to look at it and think about it, study it, right, so rebellion is is as bad as witchcraft is, is like basically saying, well, witchcraft, what are you doing? Like, people casting spells, people trying to, like, come up with the, the right means of something to make something happen, they're taking matters into their own hands. They're trying to control their destiny. So when we rebel against God, we're trying to control control our own destiny too, right? So rebellion and witchcraft, they're really similar because it's saying, I know better what to do than God, right? And I'm going to control my destiny. Um, then it says stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. You know, and that was another one I was like, okay, there's stubbornness, like I'm not willing to do something. And then there's like worshiping this like carved statue thing. Those seem really different to me too. But the more I thought about it, it's this. So, 
When we decide we're going to disobey, when we decide we know better than God how to go about something, and we decide, like, hey, God, I don't really need to do that because I know better than you what I need to do. So I'm going to do what I feel is better. When we decide we're going to have our own way and we're stubborn, who's God in our life? Like, if I tell God, no, I, I know better. I'm going to do what I think I should do. Who's God in my life? I am. Right? So I've become my own idol. Um, and when we are stubborn, we refuse to obey God, we're basically saying, like, God, I know how to be God better than you. And so that's, I don't know about you guys, but that's heavy. I don't know how to be God, right? And so God should be God. Um, so Samuel is urging Saul to look at the reasons behind this sacrifice. Because you guys, sacrifice in the Old Testament, it was a ritual. It's one of those things you did, but if there was no heart behind it, it didn't mean anything, right? Same as, like, you can come to Kaiapha and, like, be thinking about, I don't know, what you're going to eat for breakfast, right? I mean, any of you guys ever done that? I feel like it's not so much a Kaiapha thing, but Sunday morning, like, the preacher mentions food. And, like, my brain is, like, to lunch, right? And, and I'm not saying do that, but, like, that's just what happens because, like, the growling starts to happen, and you're like, he mentioned tacos, tacos, you know? And, and like, so it's, like, it's very possible to be at Kaiapha, to be at church, and, like, your heart and mind be a million miles away, right? It's very possible to, like, stand up here and sing these songs and being like, what outfit would be cute to wear tomorrow, okay? Like, but that's not what we want to do, like... And if we just stand here, and we come here, and we're thinking about tacos, you're all thinking about tacos now. Um, I should say cookies, because we have those later. Like, so we're all here, and we're just thinking about cookies. And, or, like, you know, I'm sitting there playing, and I'm like, what should I wear tomorrow? Like, is God pleased by that? Is he pleased by the fact that, like, I showed up and, like, smooshed it on a keyboard? No. Like, no. If there's no, like, heart of devotion behind it, it's pointless. Right? Same as these sacrifices. If there was no heart to please God, there was no heart to connect with God to know Him, it was pointless. Um, so, you guys, we can be religious. We can act Christian. We can, like, go to church. We can go serve and do service projects. Um, we can go to life group. We can do all of these things that look good. But if there's no heart behind it, it's empty and hollow. Um, and so, going back to their conversation in First Samuel... Verse 24, it says this. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. But now please forgive my sin and come back with me so I may worship the Lord. So now we get to the heart of the matter. His motive in all of this, in this disobedience, it wasn't to please God. It was to please people. Right? The people's opinion had become so important to Saul that God's opinion didn't matter. It had become an idol. So what people thought of him had become more important than what God thought of him. And I don't know about you guys, but like a few years back, the Lord really dealt with me on this. Um, I was actually like studying through the Sermon on the Mount, and there's uh, one of the first verses of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. It goes through the Beatitudes, and it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. And the idea of, like, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that's, that's basically saying a hunger and a thirst for more of God more than anything else. And, like, when you get to that place where you're really thinking about that, praying about that, it's like, you come to this place where you're like, 
I want to know God so much that nothing else matters. And I want God to be pleased with me more than I'm, I'm worried about what people think of me. And, and um, I was reading a commentary on this by this guy, Archie Kindle, and he, he put it this way. He said, there's exactly one well done that I want to hear at the end of my life, and it doesn't come from any human. He's like, when I reach the end of my life and I stand face to face before God, the only person I want to hear say well done is him. And I think, like, I don't know, you guys, that, like, tore me up. It, like, wrecked me for months, probably for years. It's one of those things I think about. It's one of those things I think about when I'm, like, trying to reach out to students and, like, they laugh at me. It happens. You know, and then I'm like, that stinks. Hurts a little bit. That's not why I'm here. I'm here because I want to please the Lord and I want to pull on. Right? And, and, like, there's times that, like, even in my family with my kids, they're like, this is not cool, Mom. And I'm like, <laughs> my job isn't to be a cool mom. My job is to love you in a way that you learn to love and serve God. And sometimes that means I'm like, we're not going to do that, even though that's what all the kids are doing, because, like, no, it's a bad idea, and it's not going to help you grow into the person you need to be. And, and so sometimes I'm like the lame mom because I have to care more what God thinks than what my kids think about me. And, and I think in a million situations this implies, but it's so easy in the moment to get caught up in what people think. Right? It's so easy to do things because you're like, man, people like me better if, if I did this, if I acted this way, if I just didn't stand up in this one situation and say what I know I should say. Right? Um, there's so many situations where this applies, but we've got to come to a place where there's really only one well done that matters. It's hearing that from God, not from people. So Saul had let other people's opinions start to matter more to him than the Lord's opinion, and I mean, ultimately, it wrecked his life, lost his kingdom. Matthew Henry put it this way in his commentary, and y'all will love this. Uh, he said, Humble, sincere, and conscientious obedience to the will of God is more pleasing and acceptable to him than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. God is more glorified and self more denied by obedience than by sacrifice. It is much easier to bring a bull or a lamb to be burned on the altar than to bring every thought into obedience to God and to make our will subject to his will. Those are unfit and unworthy to rule over men who are not willing that God rule over them. And I think when I read that, I mean, it was just like dripping with wisdom. But he says, God is more glorified and self more denied by obedience than by sacrifice. And it's basically saying this, like to obey, that costs me more than just to give something. Right? To give something, like it costs. But to obey, like that's giving up my will. That's giving up my desires. That costs me something from my heart. So when we obey God, it's like we're giving the more costly gift. Right? We're giving the more precious thing. Um, Hosea later, so this is another one of those verses that picks up this theme of obedience is better than sacrifice. Hosea says this in verse 6, 6. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Right? So I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. And so, I mean, this kind of makes sense to us, right? Like, if Matt only ever brought me gifts, that'd be cool. But we never spent time together. 
like, how would that relationship go over time? Be like, this is great, but like, there is no relationship. It's just gifts. And at some point, that would become empty and hollow, and and I really wouldn't like it. And I'm I'm pretty sure for a little minute, I would think it was great, but then I would realize that there's no communication. There's no relationship there. It's just a bunch of stuff. You know, at the end of the day, stuff does not satisfy. Um, or like another example of this is uh, when when I asked my kids to like do something, right? So we talked about. Now we're going to talk about. Um, so like, like she will a lot of times. I'm like, you know, go clean your room or go help with this, and and she'll leave, right? And I'm like, oh, she's obeying. She's doing what I said. And then she comes back with this really pretty picture. I made you this, mommy. Well, that is all well and good, but you did not do. But I'm like, oh, did you did you clean your room? No, I was making you this. I'm like, as great as that is, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and it's sweet. And she spent time on it, but she did not obey. <laughs> right? And I'm like, that's great. Go clean it. You know, like, you're like, as, as sweet as that is. And I think a lot of times that's the picture of us and God. You know, is God is like, I want you to obey me in this. And he's speaking to us. I want you to obey me in this. Right? Like, Anna, I want you to obey. And she's like, <laughs> you know? Like, I know I'm like that. God's like, obey this. And I'm like, let me write you this song. And I was like, that is so cute. Okay, but the thing that I said, like, I love the song, really, but really, not really. Like, go do what I told you to do. And I'm like, but I'll write another one. It'll be better, you know? And, and God's like, no, like, just obey. Um, no, just obey. So when we look at these verses, and, like, as I was comparing this verse in Hosea with the verse in 1 Samuel 15. Um, there's something we can't miss. Don't miss the shift from the word obedience to the word love. Right? Because in the first one it says obedience is better than sacrifice. Right? In this one it says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifice. So those two words are kind of used interchangeably and that's a little bit haunting to me and this is why because I still equate sacrifices with showing love I still equate stuff with showing love to God but Hosea is saying um, I want you to show love not offer sacrifices so my time my money my stuff that's not what God wants me he wants me to love him he doesn't want so much the time so much the offerings much the stuff, the service projects. He wants me to love him. It shows us that obedience is what God receives as love. Or as Matt has put it many times, obedience is God's love language. Like you talk about like sometimes people are like, I really feel loved when I receive a gift. Right? Somebody else will say, I really feel loved you know, when people say encouraging words to me. I mean, me personally, I really feel loved if people spend quality time with me. God is saying, God, he feels loved when we obey. Obedience is God's love language. It's by loving God that we obey him and come to know him. So it calls us into question, because we can ask ourselves, do I really love God? Do I really love him? Maybe you ask yourself, do I really love God? Do I really, really want to know him? And so you guys, if I say yes, but I'd rather drop something in the offering 
or I'd rather go do a service project than spend time with him? Maybe the answer's not yes. Maybe the answer's no. Maybe I don't really love him like I think I do, right? Maybe I don't really want to know him like I think I do because he wants that obedience. He wants that love. And so to bring this full circle, how do we learn to love God? How do we learn to obey? So I don't know about you guys, but I like practical teaching, right? So a lot of times it's like we like share, 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 and you're like, I'm a mess. How do I fix it? Right? Um, and so we can't leave it with the, without the how do I fix it. So how do we learn to love God? How do we learn to obey? And the Bible teaches us we're to imitate Christ. Because there's one person who's done it. There's one person who's lived as a human the perfect life and set an example for us. And so we imitate him. We do what he did. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So it says Jesus is the author and perfecter. And like the picture there is like of this person that's running a race and, and has finished. And so they're going to teach us how to, to finish the race, right? Um, so he's our example. We follow him. We imitate him. We do what he did. Um, and so what did Christ do? You know, and, and like, when you really stop and think about it, cause it's like, be like Jesus. So, like, love people. And But if you really, like, here, imitate Christ, and you go back to the Gospels and the Christ of the Bible, you got to look at what he did, right? And, and so, one thing we know about Jesus is he went to the cross. He went to the cross. He gave up his life. He saw that, like, humans, as we are, we've all fallen short. Right? I don't know about you guys, all, but I think we've all done something wrong. Right? Somewhere on that list of the Big Ten Commandments, we've lied or stolen or disobeyed our parents. You know, um, like, or we've had hatred towards somebody, which the Bible says is like murder. Right? We've all done something wrong. We all fall short. And God, seeing that, realized we're separated from Him. So He sent Jesus. And Jesus came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He did miracles. And then he went to the cross, and he died in our place. He died the death we deserve because of our sin. He died for us, and three days later, he rose again. And that means that Jesus defeated death not just for him, but he defeated death for every single one of us that trust him as our Lord and Savior. And so that's what Jesus did for us. He gave up his life. So if we're going to follow him, it's not an easy call. Like Obedience is not an easy call. If we're going to follow Jesus, we're saying, follow the guy who gave up his life. And you guys, he wanted out, right? And, um, and that's what this is about. Like, Jesus wanted out. In the Garden of Gethsemane, like, he knelt and he prayed, and he prayed with such fervor that he sweat drops of blood. That's what it says in the Bible. And he wanted, I'm not going to do it again, so everybody's <laughs> Like, but he wanted out. He was like, I don't want to do this. Right? I don't want to do this. He wanted out. 
But then at the end of that prayer, knowing that he would go to the cross and knowing that he would face all of the sin and all the shame that all of humanity deserves. Like, I don't know about you guys, but that sounds dark. Like, I know about my sin and my shame. And, like, you multiply that through all of humanity, and that's what Jesus faced. Then knowing that, at the end of that prayer time in Gethsemane, after he agonized, he said, not my will, but yours be mine, to God. And so, instead of, like, breaking a dish and getting out and going the other way, Jesus was willing to be broken in a whole other way. Instead of being selfish and breaking a dish, he was selfless and he broke himself. He broke himself so that each and every one of us could be made whole. So that we could know God, so that we could have heaven instead of hell. So you guys, each of us, we're a little bit like Saul. We don't really want to hear that, right? We're looking at the first king of Israel, and I don't know about you guys, but if somebody ever writes a book about my life, I hope that it's not this, right? Like, I hope that it's not like, man, she started well, and then, like, she lost the kingdom because she made some stupid choices, right? Like, forever, that's his story, right? It's, like, etched down in history in, like, the inerrant word of God, so, like, we know it's true. Um... But each of us were a little bit like Saul, and we're like Saul in this. God has offered us a kingdom, right? And, and like, we're not going to rule it. He's going to rule in it. But he's offered us the kingdom of God, um, but we fall short. Like, we're never, we're never going to get there. We're never going to attain it and keep it unless we trust in Christ. Um, but when we trust in Christ, we have the opportunity to love God back. And we can take up our cross and we can follow him. Right? And taking up our cross and following him, man, it's harder. It's harder than being like the punk in the kitchen that breaks the dish. It's like, I don't have to do dishes again. Right? To take up your your cross and follow Christ means that instead of like breaking the dish, you're willing to be broken instead. Right? You're willing to be obedient. You're willing to lay aside your own will and do what God calls you to do. And I think, like, in a million ways, like, you could share about obedience, and it's like, it could hit every single person different, right? Because God could be dealing with each of us in matters of places where we're obeying, so that's why, or where we're maybe, like, not obeying Him. So that's why I'm being vague. So I'm like, I don't really want to call out, like, one sin, and then somebody else be like, oh, this isn't for me. Like, if God is speaking to your heart and saying, like, I want you to obey me in this, they're like, listen, right? Because um, he can deal with us on all kinds of levels. But I think like that's really the call tonight is, is that God is wanting us to surrender and be willing to obey him. To obey him. Not to give excuses. Not to half-heartedly obey him. Not to obey him in the areas that we like and just pretend we're not disobeying the areas that we don't like. Right? But God wants like the all-in obedience. Because aren't you glad Jesus didn't, like, halfway go to the cross for our sins? So we, like, almost don't have to go to hell. Right? He didn't. Like, we don't want that. That's not real love. Real love is all in. And so Jesus, his love is all in for us. And we're to love him in return in the same way. Um, so we're going to pray. We're going to pray for two things. The first thing is, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
And so you've never prayed that prayer where you're like, hey, I have done things wrong, and I can't get to heaven on my own um, because I need God. I need Jesus to come in. I need him to cleanse me of my sin and make me right. If you've not prayed that, we're going to pray for that tonight because that's the most important decision you can ever make. Like, it's a eternal heaven and hell decision. It's really important. So we're going to pray for salvation if you want to pray for that. And the second thing is we're just going to pray um, for people who want to love God wholeheartedly and obey Him wholeheartedly. Because I really believe when we talk about obedience, it's one of those things we can hear. And we can just hear it and walk out and be like, I'm going to obey God. But if you don't talk to Him about it, if you don't take it to Him in prayer, it's through Him that you're going to have the strength to actually do it. Right? So you got to pray. you got to ask God for help. Because He never intended that we do it on our own. He always intended in the issues of obedience that we go to Him, we talk to Him, we get strength from Him, and then we walk it out. Um, so if you guys would bow your heads, just so everybody has privacy in the time of the Lord. God, we just pray for each person here tonight. God, would you come? Would you have your way? Jesus, would you speak to us? Would you move in our hearts and lives? And God, um, help us each to know you, Lord, more tonight. In the name of Jesus, and God, would you just come and move among us? You guys, if you would keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, um, is there anybody here who would say, I need to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior? If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you, but we do want to pray for you. So I would say, I need to know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Okay, is there anybody that would say, I want prayer that God would help me to love him wholeheartedly and obey him? I think it's like most of us. Well, if you guys would all stand, I'm going to pray. God, we just pray tonight. Lord, would you give us hearts to obey? God, would you give us hearts to glorify you and to deny ourselves, Lord, and be willing to obey you or be willing to follow you, be willing to be broken as you were broken that others might know you. God, we just pray that you would come and you would do a work in our hearts, God, that you would um, help us to want to follow you. God, give us the want and the desire to obey you, to follow you, to seek you and to love you.